touchdown, running in the first place for number one. Harris drops back, fades to the left, pressure on, and he goes down. Ja'Garrett Davis gets home, and the all-black sideline explodes here in Hamilton. Torn to five, it went through Marcus Dale's hands, and Kyron Moore, the presence of mind to catch it and step out of bounds at the five with 20 seconds to go. Pressure loads it up, goes down the field, taking a shot into the end zone. He caught it. Touchdown, Tigertown. Brandon Banks, how did he do it? Poor Marcus Sales just takes a beating every single time that we start this podcast, doesn't he, DT? Right? If only he could have done the end of the 2021 breakup where he gets batted <laughs> up and was it Winston Rose shovels it to Kyrie Wilson. If only that was him. He could have shoveled that to somebody else instead of right through the midst. What a man, that whole final drive of that 2019 West Final was just bonkers. It was so much fun to be there. I feel like we didn't make a big enough deal about the way that the Great Cup ended. Because if that's how a Super Bowl ended, it would be on every sports center like start and end of show for three years oh absolutely like yeah that's that play i mean the bombers will never forget that play because it was the one that seals back-to-back great cups but yeah i i didn't see any like tsn or sportsnet top 100 plays of the year where that one came in but the interception that ends the great cup in overtime yeah you're absolutely right yeah, would have made a, a much bigger deal, I think, in some different places. But uh, today I am rocking, if anybody's watching on YouTube, which, by the way, we, for some reason, I think because of the guy that's on the other side of the Zoom, our YouTube numbers on this show are really good. Uh, it turns out people oh. like like watching DT on this stuff. But uh, I am rocking the CIS UTEC Bowl Moncton 2011 long sleeve today. <laughs> uh, this is now an 11-year-old long sleeve that has been used in, I don't know, I want to say probably 30 football games that I played in. I used to wear this. I would, I would wear like a cold gear and then I would wear this gray long sleeve over the top because that was just like the baggy long sleeves were the fun thing to play in. Uh, and it survives to this day somehow on like 90% of my wardrobe. Now that I have an 18 month old son, no yeah. rips, no stains, no nothing. It's in completely one, one piece and two reasons I'm wearing it. One, obviously we're going back touchdown Atlantic. That's going to be fun riders against the Argos. And McMaster just announced that they got the East-West Bowl, which is coming up. So it's going to be down the street for me, essentially, uh, on May 7th is when the game is. Tickets are 15 bucks if you're in the GTA, the Hamilton area. You want to go watch the 2023 CFL draft class. You can do that by going to McMaster on that Saturday afternoon. It's going to be a great game. It's always a great event. I think I have the question everybody listening uh, wants to know. The stink factor of that 2011 shirt, is it like microwave fish in the office or rotting fish on the on the beach you know what it's i think this is a great credit to the people extremely underrated athletic apparel brand russell russell yeah okay russ for some reason this shirt doesn't stink um i would love to claim that i have done what's called stripping have you ever seen this with people I've, i saw a tiktok on it the other day of people yeah. who they will put all of their gym clothes from over the years, like stuff they're still wearing actively to the gym and they wash it after every time they wear it and they sweat in it. They'll put all their gym clothes into like the bathtub. And it's some concoction of like baking soda and dish soap and hot water and something else. And you just let it sit. And it's like a time lapse where this person would go in once every hour and swirl it around and take a video and swirl it around. And they did it for eight hours. And at the start, the tub is water with some soap suds floating around. And at the end, mm. the water the water is black. And it doesn't take okay. any of the, the color off of the actual clothing. It's just the stuff that's stuck in your clothing that you're wearing to the gym every single day. So thankfully, this one's good. But I saw that, that TikTok mm. on the stripping mechanism. And I'm like, um, I've been wearing the same crew neck sweater to do bench press in for a decade. It's probably needing a strip. Probably, uh, probably some stripping. Yeah, probably. Some uh, anybody, anybody watching, if you could smell it, let us know in the chat. Yeah, uh, there you go. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm suspicious. I'm suspicious, even <laughs> with the stripping. Um, let's get into today's topic. Uh, we're going to bounce around for you as we're talking about the 2023 draft class being at the East West Bowl at McMaster on May 7th. 2022 draft class will get drafted four days before that on Tuesday, May 3rd. You can catch all of that draft on TSN, and of course. The 2021 draft class just completed their first year in the CFL. And so today we are talking about 
sophomore expectations, players that we are interested in seeing moving forward, taking the next step, being a larger contributor of their team. That's kind of the, the basic parameters that we gave to this conversation. So DT, I'll let you kick off with who you have in mind with your first of five players. Okay, so I have three, since it was a double draft class, I have three from 2020 and three from 2021, nice. but all guys who just played their rookie season. And uh, a guy I got to watch all the way through the 2021 season and have some just shocking performances, honestly, if you didn't know who he was, uh, is Riders receiver Kean Schaefer-Baker. Fourth round pick, 30th overall in the 2020 draft, uh, turns 24 years old this month. Absolute breakout star. Uh, I'm trying to think, um, like, it, Justin Jefferson's rookie season with the Vikings was kind of what Kean Schaefer-Baker was able to accomplish 53 catches, 606 yards, three touchdowns. One of them takes a short area pass and pinballs off Dan Clark and somehow stays on his feet and bangs his way into the end zone. Uh, big body, good speed, high points the ball, big hands. Uh, he, he's got a little of everything to the point where when Shaq Evans was hurt and Duke Williams wasn't yet with the team, they said, you know what, Ken Shaver Baker, you're going to be the X receiver for a few games. And he went, Teams don't put Canadians at X. They don't. They just don't. I don't know why they don't. They just don't. But the writer said, he and Schaefer Baker, you're our X receiver. It won't be this guy who was in the NFL. It won't be this guy who was with the Rams. It's going to be you. So uh, I think I have a ton of expectations for what he and Schaefer Baker can be in year two uh, as the receiving core gets even better in Saskatchewan. Yeah, I like that one. And I actually, in the mock draft that's up on CFL.ca as of today, uh, I decided to give Saskatchewan a receiver in the mock. And the reason for that is I thought, well, they lost Braden Lenius, obviously, to the Atlanta Falcons. So maybe you want a little bit of size to go alongside Ken Schaefer-Baker, who is going to have those sophomore expectations. Because the one thing I do fear for him is that, uh, you know, you've got Shaq Evans coming back. Obviously, Cameron Moore is going to be out for a little bit. But it's like Shaq has to – and this is a little bit scary for Cody, I think, in the big picture for that offense – it's like Shaq has to produce. He needs a better year. Last year was not who he is. Kyron mm -hmm. Moore, when he comes back, can you come back off that injury and be the player we remember you as? Keen Schaefer Baker, we have these great memories of you, like those one-off plays. Can you do that every week? Can you be a major contributor? It's like all of these receivers have this like pressure point of you better be good and you better be good. You better be good. And it's like, okay, it's got to be the sum of the parts. It can't be attack and destroy every single individual receiver for not being eight catches, 140 yards, and two touchdowns every game, because that's not going to happen. Mm. So I'm a little scared for him. And I hope that he just kind of takes it in stride, takes it week to week, kind of ignores a little bit of the outside noisy stuff on like what he's supposed to be. Cause let's be real. There are expectations for him, but we also have a lot of hope because he just, he seems like it was a really promising player and we love his skill set as fans and as analysts which makes you want him to have success. Yeah. Duke Williams also, I mean, Duke Williams yes. should, lead yeah. the, should lead the league in targets, honestly, with how good he was in the Saskatchewan offense when he finally uh, came to town there. So you, you have to fit in there. Saskatchewan also has to answer of who's going to be that third receiver to the field. As you mentioned, Braden Lenius of the Falcons. People have asked me, oh, can Keen Schaefer Baker? I, I don't think you do. I think he is an outside guy. I think you use him on the perimeter. And I think he absolutely slays people there. One thing, as it got later in the season, and after Kyron Moore tore his ACL, we, we kind of wondered, okay, well, who's going to be the hit screen guy, the short area targets, who's hitting tunnel screens? And to my surprise, it was it was Schaefer Baker, who 6'4", I, I forget if he goes 200, 195, 205, somewhere in there. I don't, I don't know that I love that for him if they, if they plan to keep going with that. But once Kyron Moore's back and, okay, now here's your digs and your comebacks and your corners and your yeah. flies and – we're going to flip the formation, and now you're one-on-one -on -one with Winston Rose or Trey Roberson or whoever. Go beat them, as he did in that second game. I believe it was the second game at Calgary this year. He scorched for a 60-something, 70-yard pass. Uh, I, I would love to see him. I want Kyra to soak those up. I want Shaq to be Shaq. I want Duke to be the star receiver of the CFL. And I, I want to see Kean Schaefer-Baker get – I don't know. What's what's reasonable to ask from a Zed receiver mm, is – could you get 75, 80 targets out, out wide like that? Is he enough a weapon that he can go, okay, yeah, let's let's push for seven, eight hundred yards, something like that. But he absolutely has the talent to to do this. So I'm really excited to see year two for the Riders receiver. 
And, and I would say as well that if he is going to get those 70 targets, let's say on the year, I, I bet you at least half of them are him waggling down from that wide side Z receiver and running the drag routes in the end, like the cluster bunches to the field. And then he's running mm. in break in breaking routes. And then the thing that you kind of obviously game plan around with that is, okay, you see him start waggling down. You know that they like to run him over the middle because he's this big physical body he can bounce off people. At what point does Saskatchewan try to do something like, you know, a bunch to the field Duke's going to run like a wheel to the wide side or something like that. And then you got like a little stutter in and up from Keen Schaefer Baker, where all of a sudden teams are leaning on, we know what's coming. We understand this. Con- it's like they have things that they can play with there because of the work that Jeremy O'Day has done being able to acquire talent. So yeah, I'm, I, I'm excited to see where he goes. Mine is, I'm going to go over the receivers my first year as well. Um, and it is uh, the Calgary Stampeders 2021 fifth round Luther Hagenbanu. Mm. And the reason for this is that uh, similar setup where the body, the the work ethic, the ability to adapt to the offense pretty quickly, he seemed like he was just really happy to be in camp. And then he balled out and they said, well, we can't let you leave because you've been too good. So he stays in Calgary. He ends up getting his first career touchdown. Smile as big as you could possibly imagine on the sideline after that moment. And I just look at him and think, if he goes from being guy who's happy to be around and guy who's happy to be in the building with that frame, with the skill set that he's shown with how quickly he can adapt to the CFL game, it really does make me wonder if he locks himself in and says like, I'm not just going to be a guy who's having fun playing CFL. I'm going to define myself as a professional football player. How high is his ceiling? Because I think it's really high. And I, I'm really excited to see if he can prove that this year. And I also think this played into Herji Mayala leaving in free agency for Montreal. Like it might've been a money thing, but I also think Calgary was like, we, we think we have our Canadian receiver that we want to lean on alongside Colton Hunchak and others. Uh, Hakanavanu, 11 targets, 10 catches, 216 yards, 21.6 yards per catch. So I assume there's one big one. Uh, spoiling that his one not catch was a was a drop by our count, but the uh, among ten or more more targets in the CFL, the league leader in yards per catch with a Milt Siegel like twenty one point six. It's bonkers. I was uh, I was surprised, ultimately afraid to see that Herji Mayala got away from Calgary, that they let him get away, or he got away from Calgary. But what you say makes it makes a a ton of sense because Myala was what, what was he eighth overall, like first round. <laughs> so and- there's one moment that I actually have saved as a gif uh, that sometimes you see things mid season and then you see how things shake out in the off season and fair or unfair. I remember this because when I saw it in the moment it was Calgary at BC, it might've been late in the season. It might've been the Reggie Begleton game when he came back and had that big late season performance in at BC place. But mm-hmm. Herjie Myala goes offside. They go to a shot of the sideline of Dave Dickinson and he, he takes his play card and points it in his hand directly at Herjie and you can read his lips and he, you can see him just scream an F-bomb, which Dave does on the sidelines, that's fine, but he screams an F-bomb, points at him and goes, F Herjie, that's effing on you, figure your shit out. Like, and he screams at him in a way that if you were on the entire sideline, 30 yards on either side you'd be able to hear it and you'd be like, oh man, Dave just destroyed him in a way wow. that was in a way that was very obviously for all of us to hear to set the tone. So when Dickinson used him as an example, and I mean Dave does that and then you know he puts his arm around a guy later and he says, hey, you know, I was just roughing you up and trying to get you going. But when I saw that and then I saw him leave, I was like, maybe Montreal offered a bunch of money or maybe they were like, it's it's not here in your second season. Again, good example of great rookie year, not so great second year. And maybe Luther can offer them more. So we'll see where that goes. But he's uh, he's somebody I'm excited to see this year. Yeah, Maella had 46 more targets and turned that into 82 more yards. <laughs> like the, the production. And ele- again, uh, 11 targets and 10 receptions for Hakanavano. Way too small a sample size to yes. draw anything from. But they're, they're shockingly nice numbers to the point where if I was still doing the details and I had to pick my next great receiver it would kind of make the, oh, you know what? With 11 targets, let's go back and watch them all and see what happens. But uh, uh, I like that one. I like that one. I think between us girls, I think Calgary's a real problem this season. Um, Some of the betting lines on Calgary to win the Great Cup are very nice. 
if their quarterback situation is is handled. They're very nice. Let's just say that. Uh, do kickers count for this yes. as we pick the best sophomores? <laughs> Can I pick a kicker? Uh, I, I got to go. 2020 fifth-round pick, 39th overall, Mark Leggio of the yeah. Winnipeg Blue Bombers. Sergio Castillo go, comes in, saves the kicking game, uh, and but signs with the Edmonton Elks. So now that's Leggio, Mortada, and whoever else the, the Bombers will bring in. Uh, Leggio, for all the struggles that we, we saw and perceived in Winnipeg, Leggio was fourth in the league in punting. He was about two yards above average per punt. So that's a real nice place to start. Sure, the league was kind of ruined by Richie Leone and Cody Grace being absolute monsters. But, I mean, he was in his rookie season in a group with like Flintoff and Whitford uh, and Michael Domagallis. So not bad from a punting perspective. So there's job one. Uh, he was three and a half points below expected on his field goals. But this is where I'll step in to defend a kicker. Uh, and I'll do it with a little trivia time, Marsh. Okay. Uh, Renee Paredes, best kicker in the league last year, average field goal attempt was 35 yards. 35 yards was his average attempt. How long was Mark Leggio's average field goal attempt in 2021? I don't know if I should be going longer or shorter, honestly. Um, I'm going to say that Leggio was asked to take ridiculous boots. I'm going to say 39. His average field goal attempt, Mark Leggio, the Bombers, he was five for eight on his field goals. His average attempt was 45 yards. Oh, my God. Like in, in Justin Medlock, Justin Medlock would be the best kicker in the history of the CFL. I think his best seasons, his average might have been 37, 38. Wow. Legio was 45 yards downfield. Uh, he lost his job after he missed from 56, missed from 47, made from 37, then missed from 48. And you go, I get it. The guy drills a 50-yarder in his first CFL kick. But if you, if you look at five for eight and 63% and say, well, that's not good. Look what he was asked to do. Yeah. 56. If you blame a guy for a 56-yard miss, we don't we don't agree on what kicking it is is about. So I think he was the one guy when I looked at U Sports numbers, I've kind of projected them and took, okay, it's a 40-yard kick in U Sports. Did he make it? How would that compare to the CFL? He was the one kicker who actually came out positively of all the U Sports kickers in the land. So I think there is a ton of room for Mark Leggio to be a guy who does both jobs. Uh, just don't run fake kicks in the West final because that did not work out real well. But Mark Leggio is a guy I would I would I would believe the Bombers want him to have both jobs this season. And I think he's a guy who can do it for sure. Yeah, yeah, I'm with you on that. That's uh, 45 that, yards. I, this is average. I did not realize that. It, why do you think that is? Do you think that it was just game situation the way it played out? Or is it that Mike O'Shea is kind of addicted to the Justin Medlock style of mad bombing blue bomber <laughs> kickers? I think it probably had a lot to do with the game flow, but I mean, what does it say to to a guy that, hey, I know you just got to the CFL, but go kick a 50-yarder for us, and he does it. And then, yeah. hey, you get, like, how, how many teams will not even try a 56-yarder? Calgary won't try a 56-yarder. There's no chance. There's so many teams just would not do it, and yet it's, I think that shows the belief they have, and I think they're, they have to get back on that. Uh, my next one for you here, this is uh, kind of obvious, but this is, uh, <laughs> this is, man, I, I don't want to say I feel stupid because I never really feel stupid when it comes to draft predictions because draft predictions are stupid in and of themselves. But when you're first overall, I kind of think you're going to play like, yeah. uh, and Jake Burt disappeared last year and went into witness protection and it was a calf injury and it was this, and it was, uh, whether that was because Nikola Kalinic was there and they felt like they, I mean, we were talking about how fun the formations were that you could have Burton Kalinic and two tight end and H back and this and that it was supposed to be this offensive, great variety of creativity and imagination and running the ball in different ways. And, and Bert just didn't like, and I honestly reached out to him at one point in the middle of the season and was like, hello. Yeah. And, and he got back to me and he's like, yeah, man, just like dealing with some stuff and you know, working my way through and I'm at practice every day. And I'm like, I did not think that's how this season was going to go in his first. And so this is your classic example of if it is just a first year figuring it out, battling injuries, that's fine. Disappointing, but fine. If you're everything that, and again, this is, this is a funny dynamic, right? DT, like mm. people will criticize the media and say, well, you guys hyped him up too much. They're the ones that took him first overall. 
And every team knew he was going first overall. So every team would have taken him for just about every team would have taken him first right. overall. So if if they're the ones that are taking him first overall and they believe in him enough when the entire board is open to go first overall, he sure as hell better play in year two. <laughs> because if you go two years without playing or you get dinged up, then all of a sudden you're in like Chris Bauman territory where it's Hamilton first over. And again, the history that maybe this ties into the curse of the Ticats not winning the Grey Cup but between Chapman, Bauman and Jake Bird, like pass catchers first overall. Like, what if what have you got to show for that? And I just for me this year. Two things, one. I think it's really important for him to get on the field and prove that he can do it so that he can just mentally relax and play the Canadian game. And two Mm. is I want to see if his game actually translates because when he went first overall, I was like, what did they just get? And I interviewed him the day after he got drafted and we went through his playing style and he was so happy to be coming to Canada and playing for this team and all. And then it just, nothing came of it. And I'm like, we still don't have any answers as to what that pick was in 2000. 21 and here we are in 22 and it's like okay it's time to go it's time to go let's see what this is about i'm with you he was on my list as well as guys i I need to see because you're right like first overall i remember uh the riders put out a thing of their war room and you hear the commissioner it's a picture of the gm jeremy o'day and he's watching the commissioner deliver the first overall pick of the Hamilton Tiger Cats, and you see Jeremy O'Day mouth the words Jake Burt, Boston College. Like, he knew it was it was coming. This is the guy, I mean, and I don't know, is he is he supposed to be Kalinich in a bit, like that big, but a little extra receiving? And how much in a league where, like, Derek Moncrief is a big Sam linebacker. Moncrief goes like 6'3 and in the 220s. A lot of Sams are... 510, six feet tall, 195. If you if you could have a legit 240, 50 pound receiving weapon mm-hmm. down the field, you now exploit this mismatch of essentially six defensive backs, right? You could really work that. And oh, by the way, if he can work a Will linebacker as well, because he's bigger than a Kyrie Wilson or a Micah Tights or a Cam Judge. Oh, okay. This could be a real thing. The anticipation, uh I'm I'm super excited to see what it might look like. And we got None of it. <laughs> None. And I, just, I just pulled up Kalinich's numbers. 15 targets for Kalinich in uh, 14 regular season plus two playoff games. Um, is there offense? I mean, is there offense waiting for something something more? I Jake Burt absolutely is, is a guy I hope to see day one, and I hope to see a bunch from. Because uh, like you, I, I'm fascinated to see how and if it can work. And, and the other, I think thing kind of you know rounding out the jake burt topic here is that they've moved on from speedy they've still got braylon addison they're going to lean on tim white a lot they're likely going to lean on stephen dunbar a lot but if you want to go with kind of like a again it's it's too soon to even say that he would be part of a four or five receiver mainstay rotation but most teams as you know Derek, when you break it down, it's like mm. your, your top receiver, which we would think is going to be Braylon Addison or Tim White, is going to get 15 to 20% of your targets in the passing game. If they each get that, what does that leave for everybody else? And it's like, well, Dunbar's going to get his 8 to 10%. And then it's like, okay, if Bird is in the mix, playing all the time, a consistent threat, it's not as though you're asking him to be on the receiving end or even on the target end of 25% of your pass targets. They mm-hmm. need they need you to be involved on somewhere between five to ten percent of those pass targets, but to be really productive when you get the ball. That's really what his role would be. And I'm like, I don't feel like that's too much to ask for a first overall pick that has NCAA Division One playing experience. Yeah, for sure. Can he be can he be quite as dirty as Nikola Kalinich was? That'll be the thing. Well, <laughs> I don't think that's I don't think that's possible. And like, trust me, there's a lot of things I like about uh, Kalinich's game, but that was not one of yeah. them. E- every week watching and just cringing and being like, "Oh man, we d- we did not need that. That did not need to be." Yeah. What one of my great one of my great shames that I kind of carry with me from doing play by play for the Riders. Uh, it was a Hamilton Saskatchewan game, and Kalinich just trucked Ed Gainey. Yeah, just absolutely abused Ed Gainey. And, and at the time, I was like, oh, my gosh, what a play, even though it happened against the rider. <laughs> I went back and looked at it, and Kalinich just does him absolutely dirty on the ground. And I went, oh, no, I need, to, I need to apologize to Ed because I was celebrating what, in the moment, I thought was a clean, huge hit. Right. But, oh, it was – I think he – I don't know if he speared him once he, he got was fined. down on the ground. No, too. so what, what, happened, what happened was he got onto him. Uh, it was, I think, a quick screen out to the left-hand side. 
and Kalinich from either fullback or tight end got his hands on Ganey and basically like shoved him into the ground. And then as Ganey was face down on the ground, he like full extended and then dropped his head into the middle of Ganey's between the one and the one on the Saskatchewan uniform, like straight into the middle of the spine. Um, And he received a max fine for that, for spearing. And that was week two of the season. But that honestly, that play right there was the moment that pissed off the riders so much that led to the fight uh, that led to uh, oh. uh, that led to, I'm trying to think the, the Javon Santos Knox ejection uh, that led to uh, what's the defense. Jake Hardy got Jake Hardy, Jake Hardy yeah. got tossed out of that game. Um, was the, got punched in the face. Like, like it was that, bad. That, that game was a disaster for the officiating crew. And it all stemmed from Saskatchewan, the entire game wanting revenge for what happened between Kalinich and Ganey. I know that for a fact. Yeah. I've, t- I've talked to people that were in the middle of that on the rider's sideline. So yeah, that's one that um, doesn't really need to be in the game. And honestly, that game would have been much smoother, more entertaining, seamless if it hadn't happened. So Jake, don't do yeah. that. No, no, no good. Just catch, <laughs> just catch a bunch of passes. Just catch a bunch of passes. Just be the a inside. dude. Wham blocks of defensive ends that you're bigger than and and have at it. So uh, I I had for my third one I had Jake Burt plus Nelson Lacombo because nice. they were the top two picks in, in the 2021 draft. Lacombo, University of Saskatchewan, taken by the Riders, number two overall, was part of the Achilles Four a couple of days before oh, the, I hate the that preseason. Name. It's just have you ever heard it uh, ever? And you'll we'll never see it again. But one day in Regina, all of a sudden, four guys tore their Achilles. The NFL will have nine in an entire season with four times as many teams. And the Riders had four and one just freaky day. Uh, Lacombo, president of the trophy winner from 2019. When we saw that draft pick and we went, okay, and they have Godfrey Onyeka. Oh, and they've taken some guys a little lower in the draft. Oh, they're good. they're fixing to go Canadian at uh, probably a field corner. Yeah, so uh, I... I there's a lot of excitement about Nelson Lacombo. And I mean, his brother plays in the league and his brother's a stud as well. And you go, oh, man, Nelson's not that big, but not as big, but might be better. And just having Canadians at skill positions just excites me, yeah. right? Uh, field corner is, is, a, is different than boundary corner. I get it. But having Canadians in skill positions makes me very excited. So I, I by all accounts, Lacombo's recovery has gone well. Fully expect he's at training camp come May. Uh, they still have the riders still have Canadian depth in which to make it possible that they go Canadian at one of the back six spots. So uh, alongside Jake Burt, Nelson Lacombo, the number two overall pick from twenty one, uh, is a guy. It's not a, it's not building on twenty twenty one, but uh, I'm excited to see him in twenty twenty two. Yeah, that's good to hear that he's in in good shape and recovery is going well because I actually hadn't heard anything about that. So I'm I'm hoping that we see him on the field too. I'm I'm going to go defensive back with my next one as well, uh, and this is just one that kind of came out of complete left field for me that I didn't see coming. Even though you know I cover the draft, late round pick. I don't know if anybody remembers how late this guy actually went. If you're an Argonauts fan, out of the University of Saskatchewan, 47th overall, Josh Haggerty. Joshua Haggerty ends up going in the sixth round for the Argonauts. And all of a sudden, pretty quickly in the season, you're seeing these long blonde locks running around wearing number 27. You're like, the hell is that? And you're like, oh, that's Joshua Haggerty. He was in the sixth round. What's he doing out there? You're like, what? There's all, you know, because we made a big deal about the Argonauts defense where it's like these freaks on the defensive line. They got all these names. And then at linebacker, it's Judge and it's Muamba. And it's, you got all these like American defensive backs. And then all of a sudden, Haggerty's just running around and he's like calling the shots on the back end and communicating with just this smorgasbord of names and talent and veterans and Canadians and all stars. And I'm like, oh my God, that's a lot of responsibility. And I thought he handled it pretty well. It wasn't though he was a, a complete liability. You know, there's been a lot of ratio talk lately about, I don't want to watch a Canadian get beat by an American because it's just bad for the league. That dude was a six round pick. He went out there. He didn't look out of place most of the time. He wasn't being circled by the other team and saying, let's run corner posts and get to this free safety because he's clueless out there, which to be honest, similar body type, different year in the draft. Jordan Hoover, when he came out of Waterloo, regional combine guy goes to Edmonton I called games on radio where the Thai cats very obviously were doing anything and everything they possibly could to find Jordan Hoover on the field. 
And I like Jordan Hoover. I think his game's pretty good, but he couldn't cover Speedy B, and the Ticats knew it. And so I just went after him, and I didn't see a whole lot of that with Haggerty. So the reason I bring him up is not necessarily that I have huge expectations. I just want to see if it was a flash in the pan. Was that a roster decision? Because I don't know what we do there. We got ratio issues. Maybe let's just put this kid in. He seemed like he handled all of that craziness pretty seamlessly, and I want to see if he can do it again. Yeah, I, uh, Toronto, I wonder wh- where they're going to go with their Canadians, right? Because uh, Judd's gone. Mwamba's still there. Yeah. Um, what, who do they take? They have Hoyt and Kassar from the drafts. Yes. That they, that they can try and work in there. I wonder where they'll go with their Canadians. But yeah, we're all in Saskatchewan, always written for Saskatchewan kids. Whichever Saskatchewan school, it was great. Uh, I, I'm curious how much you were envious of those locks because they oh, flow. Yeah. They flow. Yeah. And the fact that, and this is what's kind of cool is like, Sometimes you see guys that can that can pull it off on game day. He pulls it off all the time. Like going <laughs> yeah. going in and out of the stadium and stuff. It's not like one of those guys that is like up in the man bun and doing it all the time. It's like, no, this is just my hair. This is the way it is. And it's such a great look for football. Although obviously we know the rules are that your hair is part of your uniform. So a eh, little dangerous, but yeah. I I'm curious to see because we saw it feels like we saw a lot more teams going American at safety. Yeah. Uh, BC kind of did it from the start. Saskatchewan went to it after Mike Adam got injured. They moved Purifoy over. Calgary did it for a spell, I think, with both Dozier and Wall. I'd have to go back and, and triple check that. Uh, I'm curious if safety is becoming an American position or if that's just, uh, if that's just, hey, actually, you know what? There's a surplus of, of pretty good Canadian linebackers in the league right now. So I'm, I'm curious to see what 2022 brings us on that front. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so we have Burton, we have the combo, we have Haggerty, uh, my number four and Toronto for me, wasn't the best offensive line I ever saw. They were fine. I thought they're, I mean, they lose Sean McEwen. They, he goes, Sean McEwen goes to Calgary and I kind of wonder what's to come for him. Uh, and I mean, in 11 games, seven at center and four at guard, Peter DeCastro. Yep. Pretty good. Yeah. I, I, I didn't really have any complaints about it McEwen to me was still I thought McEwen in Calgary was fantastic like he was in Toronto but uh but quarterback pressures allowed sacks allowed holding calls against him wasn't statistically not much different than how Philip Blake performed in also seven starts at center and four starts at left card so to to say that and Blake is a, a veteran who is very who, big body and very talented I like Philip Blake a lot uh to get that from a rookie I like that, and I'm excited to see where that goes. Toronto's got to do some stuff at the tackles. They let uh, Campbell go from right tackle, and left tackle was a real problem for them all season long. But uh, I think for a first-round, seventh overall pick, Peter Nicastro fared real well in Toronto, and I, I like that for 2022. That was a home run. Like, honestly, their their draft room, and, and I know Vince Magri pretty well because he played offensive line at McMaster as a fifth year when I was a rookie at Max. So we'd always kind of been aware of each other and whatnot and i remember i think i texted him the day after they made that pick and i was like i mean yeah there was like you know tyler packer and there was uh logan bandy and like that dino's offensive line in 2021's draft there was three or four guys that all looked like they were legit pro prospects and I, i remember vince just saying the more that we looked at that group it was clear to us that yeah they're all big bodies and yeah they can all block but the athleticism of the castro and his sense for the game and and when and where to go and how to pass off switches and double teaming people and getting to the second, all these things you look for in offensive linemen. He was so superior to everybody, which is, I don't want to say ironic, but so much of the conversation was low. It's kind of like Noah's there this year. There was Saskatchewan, yeah. right? The whole conversation is he's here. Everybody else is down here. And it was at the start of last year. It was like Logan Bandy is here. And whatever else is in the draft is down here when it comes to linemen. Well, Noah's there after the combine has kind of come back to the field. And if you look at the process of what happened to Logan Bandy, it's not as though he dropped off and he was terrible, but he certainly slid a little bit. And then Nicastro was like, mm, and jumped him and got into that spot. And Toronto got the perfect guy that they wanted. And he's shown out well for them. So whether or not in free agency, he goes back to Calgary in a couple of years, we'll see. Uh, because that seems <laughs> to be a, a lot of a trend. And I'm sure that playing alongside Sean McCune would be an interesting pairing for the Stampeders to uh, to endeavor after. But yeah, he he was a home run for them. They were really happy with it, and he might have even exceeded their expectations, and they had high expectations for him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I think that's I, 
I was I was I was surprised how well it worked out for Toronto yeah. at the center spot because Sean McEwen has is, is been a good one for some time. So yeah, no props to Peter Nicastro. I had no idea what to expect, and uh, I come out of 2021 pretty impressed. Well, and this is the thing too, like going into this season, we're talking about the offensive line for the Toronto Argonauts. Doesn't Andrew Harris make them look better than they are at times with some of your numbers, or is that going to be called into question because Andrew Harris is aging and we'll see where it kind of goes from there. Like the yards before contact that you do such a great job being able to track, like yeah, Winnipeg's offensive line was so good at moving bodies. And I remember your stat on James Wilder jr. When he was in Toronto getting destroyed before he ever got to the line of scrimmage. And, uh, and again, that's a different era of Argo's offensive line, but that does make me wonder how do we perceive Nicastro and company based on the fact that Andrew Harris is now your running back in Toronto. Yeah, where are we? Toronto, uh, but run plays only Toronto last season, first in yards before contact for its running backs. So wow. they, that's that's pretty good. They were, nice. the running backs then were ninth in yards after contact, so leading them to fifth in yards per rush. Oh, pardon me, running backs only uh, yards before contact third at 2.3. So that's still, that's not far behind Montreal. That's a, that's a nice number. It's yeah, a nice place to be. That is nice. Uh, yeah, working working the pass block will be the uh, the thing for them in 2022. Uh, by the way, I saw a video of Chad Kelly who makes his second appearance here in a row on the breakdown because last week we talked yes. about Chad Kelly tweeting out the old Argos logo. Um, I saw a video. Are of you him. still mad about that? Are you still angry? <laughs> I've I've simmered, uh, okay. but <laughs> uh, but I saw Chad Kelly. I love his enthusiasm, and I don't I don't want to be like the urinator on all things positivity. But, uh, but I saw Chad Kelly doing the footwork drill and dancing his way through some cones and stuff. And he's like, Argos, let's go. Like I'm Mr. Worldwide. I'm Mr. And I'm like, I love that excitement. I love that enthusiasm. But there was a part of me that saw his body composition as he's working out shirtless. And I was like, Oh, that leaves something to be desired. It's like, no, and I'm not here to body shame. Okay. I'm just, I'm doing my job as a football analyst. And I'm like, I want Chad Kelly to have all the success in the world, but while we're talking about Argos and pass protecting and where they go from here with McLeod or with Chad Kelly and all, uh, I'm like, I hope that that dude comes in and he's in great shape, but there was certainly like my guttural reaction in that was when you see Dane Evans and Nick Arbuckle and those guys working out, check out those videos. They look a little bit different than Chad Kelly, who again, bigger body naturally, like larger frame because he's a big NFL yeah. style guy that can move as well. Uh, but yeah, I felt guilty for body shaming as soon as I thought it, but I, there was a part of me that was like, oh, I don't know if that's going to be, cause you know, this, the big body NFL style, six, four, six, five American quarterback that comes up and stands there like a, a pylon and doesn't move. That's mm. I'd, I'd rather have VA than have that guy in the CFL. Coming to a TV near you in May, Marshall Ferguson, <laughs> the urinator. Only on TSN. Uh, either either the urinator or just like a new version of the details where I just body shame. Uh, we could also do that. <laughs> uh, we'll, my, see what, we'll see what Marshall Ferguson is pissed off about this week. He's yeah, exactly. And oh, again, awesome. totally hypocritical too, because my buddy's not great. Uh, my next one for <laughs> you here uh, is Ottawa first rounder linebacker out of Maine, Deshaun mm. Stevens. Uh, and the yeah. reason that I bring this up is uh, again, talking about shaming to kind of shame myself and to call attention back to this, the Ottawa Red Blacks, we knew they needed to get some of these futures in-house because Ottawa's done a, a pretty decent job, whether it be Alonzo Adai or in this spot, or uh, I'm trying to think even uh, some of the, the big name uh, Eli Anku that was the defensive mm. tackle that I believe is still bouncing around down in Cleveland right now in the NFL as an Ottawa native, like they've taken a lot of guys that they kind of hope will come up and they probably will with their territorial pick this year as well with Jesse Lukita out of Penn state. But I'm like, at some point, one or more of these guys has got to come up and make an impact. And I thought because of the way that he was talking on social media last year, he went into the transfer portal from Maine and there was some discussion that he might have just gone into the transfer portal. And if he didn't get what he liked, he was going to come to the CFL. Like he was going to come last year and be a part of it. Him or his agent might have looked at Ottawa's situation overall and been like, that can probably wait a year. Why don't you take a year to kind of like work on you? And your so he ends up going to West Virginia. And then now 
he's on his way out. And I, like, I, I hope he shows up. I hope he's under contract. I hope he, he gets a chance to play at a high level. It's just, I, I really liked getting to learn about him, understand him better through the draft process last year around this time. And it's like, I'm a year and a half in similar to Jake Burt kind of sitting around going, what is this? Because I think I like it a lot. I think it would have a lot of success up here, but until I see it, I just don't know. Uh, that is, as you look at Ottawa's depth chart, Avery Williams is in the middle. Uh, it was Micah Alway last year. I think he finished the season with about 70 tackles by our count. Um, uh, a Canadian guy who could plop into that spot would probably immediately get those 70 tackles and would go, Oh, Oh, okay. We'd start to think star. Like, um, mm. I don't know if, if Eau Claire can, if Eau Claire is more to be a safety in this league, or he could come down just looking at the depth chart. Uh, Brad Cowan's a linebacker. They drafted, they, they have, you know, names and, you know, passports to go Canadian at one of those uh, linebacker spots, Bruno safety, Cleon Lang, three, six, yeah, they, they more could do it. They don't have to, it doesn't look like, but mm-hmm. they can get to their seven without it. But yeah, that, that would be exciting. And uh, hey, I, I get to go to work for Mike Benavides. And oh, by the way, if I make a couple mistakes early on, Avery Williams is right there and can clean them, them up. It, it, it looks much better to join Ottawa in 2022 than it would have been 2021, to your point from earlier. No doubt. Uh, who do you got for your fifth and final here on Sophomore Hopefuls? Uh, my fifth and final, uh, let's go back to trivia time and okay. ask Marshall Ferguson and folks watching who led the Calgary Stampeders in quarterback pressures in 2021. Mike Rose. Uh, okay. That was, that was a bad question then. Cause it was micro. <laughs> I was thinking among defensive ends, uh, who led the Calgary Stampeders in quarterback pressures in 2021. That was a terrible uh, question. By me. Did I ever gag that one? <laughs> uh, Isaac Adiemi Berglund. It, it absolutely was. Um, Adiemi Berglund. Just ahead of Lemon uh, or, or for Laren Romilade is back. They they have their two Americans they can go with. Both guys. Lemon does nothing. I mean, Lemon gets sacks. That's his deal. Mm-hmm. Uh, or, or injuries keep dogging him, but there's a guy who can play. There's going to be snaps for Isaac Adiyami Berglund, especially if they end up with. I don't know if there's another one in the draft, another Canadian defensive end in the draft when it's Calgary's turn to go this time around. But uh, we were kind of looking for that in in. I was kind of looking for that in the last draft. Uh, Addy Ali Berglund, if you can get pressure and it didn't turn into a bunch of sacks, right? It was 26 pressure turned into two sacks. But if you can get pressure, the Jagarit Davis story, just get pressure and the sacks will come. And Jagarit David Davis did nothing but get pressure and pressure and pressure. And he finally got double digit sacks. And then he finally got to the Grey Cup a couple of, well, finally, he keeps going to the Grey Cup every time because he keeps getting after quarterbacks. He finally gets a big deal in Toronto as well. He gets to go play there. Uh, just keep getting pressure and I'm excited to see. I love my Canadian defensive ends. We, some teams may overpay for them to a dramatic extent. BC looking at you, but uh, I'm excited for Isaac Adiami Berglund in year number two. I love that one. I like his game too. He's, he's just kind of like a bit of a Tasmanian devil off the edge. He just, he seems like the wheels are always turning and he's always got hands on somebody and he's always finishing the plays. He's uh, if you take your eye off the ball, as Pat Kerwin would say, and you want to learn how to watch the game of football, sometimes you just go ISO cam on certain guys. And he's one of those that catches my eye when I'm watching on television, because obviously the standard broadcast version is that high sideline shot where you're looking right down the line of scrimmage most of the time. And you can see his quickness off the ball from that standard broadcast angle that they give us so much. And he's, he's definitely somebody that is worth being able to focus on. And if you're in the stands too, I mean, you can see it up close and personal, but I'll tell you one thing as a former quarterback, I wouldn't want to get hit by that guy because he, he packs a punch. And for anybody that doesn't know, when I was doing draft prep on him, I think he's out of Southeastern Louisiana and they played against LSU and Joe Burrow the year before uh, the Tigers went on their magical run and he got two sacks on Joe Burrow in that game coming from a small school against a major division one SEC tackle who played for LSU. So nice. he, this is not some random flash in the pan. Like he's had skill for a long time and he's been doing it at a high level. So yeah, I think we should probably have higher expectations for him than people realize based on his pedigree drafted third overall. Um, I, I would put a lot of stock into that for it. And my fifth and final one here to wrap us up. Actually, you know what? I'll do my outside looking in first just because I wanted to get his name in there. Uh, yeah. Sam Baker from Sask. 
Mm. Got, got yep. taken 48th overall drafted by the Argonauts. They signed him again. I just loved him in the UTEC Bowl. Like when I was calling that Saskatchewan uh, game against Montreal, it was very obvious that Mason Nyus was just, if he was going to go through the air, it was going to be to Sam Baker because they just had this comfort level. And in the fourth quarter, as he's injured, he battled through it and he kept getting target after target. And every time he did, Saskatchewan would move the football. So I, I don't know what he's going to be. But I do know that I gained a lot of respect for him watching probably his final university game uh, played all outside of the Vanier Cup, obviously, that came the following week. But yeah, I just I like him a lot. But this one doesn't need any explanation. I just I feel like we can't do this episode without me including this name. 15th overall in the second round, Nathan Rourke. I was wondering which one of us is going to break the glass on that one. Yeah, like I can't I can't do sophomore expectations without this is a nine-team league. It's a quarterback-driven league. You're the starter. Expectations, <laughs> right? It's like, yeah. I, I don't have anything else to say on it, really, other than that the BC Lions teased that behind-the-scenes show that they're doing, like, behind the R that the Red Blacks, uh, great digital department, has been doing in content team over in Ottawa. And, uh, and it seemed like it was very Rourke-centric, <laughs> which I like, don't get me wrong, but also, man, if he can handle the pressure of being a starting quarterback in professional football the year after Mike Riley retires and also do it with like an off season camera crew following him around, going to like his morning workouts and stuff consistently, like that's, that's just a lot. That's a lot to deal with. So I'm, we've had the Rourke discussion in the past. I'm sure we'll have it once we get into the season. Mm -hmm. Uh, but I just I need to make sure that that name goes on this list of people that we obviously are looking at going into their second full year. Uh, five design carries for 47 yards. I'm going to want to see a bunch of that. I'm going to want to see a bunch of that. How much um, will they do, though, with him as their starting quarterback instead of being the fun alternative to Michael Riley? I want to see a bunch of it. If, if the Riders can do it with Cody Fajardo, if the Ticats can do it with Jeremiah Masoli, if to a lesser extent Montreal can do it with Vernon Adams, it, it, it's it's the floor raiser. It's the floor raiser. Uh, they're only going to be, even at his worst throwing game, he could still run for 100 yards, right? You you can utilize that. And it's it's numbers and it's, you know, what Lamar Jackson is doing to the NFL. It just changes the math, yeah. right? You, you just have to. And I know, let me ask you, let me pose this to you. Uh, it's Rourke, O'Connor, Isaac Harker. Uh, maybe they take Trey Ford in the draft. That would be, that's something folks are calling for online. I love the thought of that. Uh, but if Rourke gets hurt and O'Connor is in there, um, how much are you concerned about how much of a drop off is that uh, from a from a strictly passing perspective? Let's say that in in your mind, from what you what you know and what you've seen, uh, I think that Michael O'Connor has a great skill set. I just don't know if it is developed enough to be an every down successful pick a team apart, drive you down the field skill set at, at the CFL yet. And okay. My thinking is if Rourke got dinged and O'Connor went in, let's say he finishes the game, I think they would give him one or two starts to prove it. And if not, it's an immediate phone call to Montreal. What is it going to cost us to get Trevor Harris? Mm. Because Trevor Harris is in this nine-team league where there's always more than nine qualified quarterbacks, and we usually end up seeing 15-ish quarterbacks play meaningful snaps throughout the year. He's the odd man out right now. He's the one who signs in Montreal and is just sitting there. And obviously he's going in this year thinking I'm going to be the starter. I want to battle with VA during training camp. And, you know, I, I welcome this and I understand the process. And, but I also think there's, he'll never say it. There's a large part of Trevor Harris that's sitting there going, who gets hurt and when do they call? And I think his job yep. is, is to raise his value to a high enough level where, you know, it could get even crazier too, in terms of odd men out, if for some reason JT Barrett goes into Edmonton, blows everybody away, becomes the starting quarterback, and Nick Arbuckle's on the outs, it's like, okay, now BC's got Ooh. their pick. Is it Trevor Harris or is it Nick Arbuckle that you're giving a call? And then the trade value, I assume Arbuckle would come cheaper at this point, bouncing around the way he has, than Trevor Harris would come because you know what you're getting in Trevor. I don't think people really trust what they're getting in Nick just because they haven't seen him play enough over the last couple of years. Oh, who would be in the market with a quarterback injury? Who would be in the market for Trevor Harris? BC would, Saskatchewan probably would, because at the moment it's Mason Fine. 
Uh, Winnipeg probably would because Dakota Prukop and Drew Brown are there. Yeah. Boop, 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 boop. Uh, I, I, who's, oh, Jeremiah Masoli, then question mark. Yeah, man, there would be a lot of teams. Who, Montreal's in a, and, and potentially Trevor Harris is in, are in really good position with that. Yeah. And again, signing. Trevor, you know this, DC, Trevor will never say it. He's not going to show up to training camp and be like, yeah, I'm going to put the work in here and uh, hopefully I get traded. It's like, that's not a thing you're ever going to hear a quarterback say in an organization yeah. because every guy in the room would look at him and be like, the hell are you even doing here? Like, just go go home and wait until somebody calls for you at that point. But he's going to honor his contract and go and battle. And who the hell knows? The crazier things have happened, man, in the CFL. What, <laughs> what if Trevor beats VA out there like, we're changing course, we're going a different direction, and VA becomes available? And again, I don't think that's going to happen. Yeah. But I'm saying in the CFL, there's always one or two situations where whether it be the start of the year where somebody gets cut from training camp, you don't expect the middle of the year when an injury happens or near the trade deadline for a playoff push. There's always two or three moves through the year where we all go, whoa, if you would have told me last year at this time that 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 Vernon Adams Jr. might possibly be a BC Lions starting games for them in the playoff hunt. You'd be like, what are you talking about? Uh, <laughs> yeah. but, but again, it's it, uh, we've seen these things happen. Well, this is a league where Saskatchewan starting quarterback got hurt the third play of the season, got traded to Toronto, traded to Winnipeg, played what one regular season game and won the Grey Cup. So there's nothing off the table in this league at all. So, yeah, I, I think. Hmm. Yeah, I Trevor, that could be a hot commodity. Get your draft picks ready to, to get Trevor <laughs> Harris out of, of Montreal. If, uh, if BC, something goes... I was going to say BC does have an extra draft pick in this year's draft, as I know off the top of my head, because I just did the mock draft because uh, the Sergio Castillo deal with BC and Winnipeg. Um, oh, okay. Yep. So, yeah, so BC does have an extra pick in the second round, I want to say. Maybe it's later. It might even be like the third or the fourth round. There, by the way, there's only two trades that are on file so far. There's the Nick Arbuckle conditional Toronto Edmonton second round pick. And then there's the Sergio Castillo BC Winnipeg one. But other than that, literally every round is the way the season ended in the standings. Thank goodness. Cause I, I spent a day trying to untangle some that uh, the bombers have like, Oh, what do these trades turn out to be? And Oh man, there's trade, like a trade that leads to another trade. You're trying to go back and go, where does a Darius Bowman fit in all this? And who did he end up getting <laughs> dealt for? It's, it's a puzzler. So I'm very excited to hear that, that that will not be a thing I'll have to do when reviewing the 2022 CFL draft. Exactly. Uh, if you want to start your season off right with products from our partners at Fox 40, you can outfit your coaching staff with custom logoed Fox 40 whistles, gear, coaching boards, and more. Visit fox40shop.com. Use the code CFP15 at checkout for 15% off of your order. I don't know how making a list of five players always takes us an hour, but I thoroughly enjoy it as always. DT. <laughs> it's good. We get to highlight some of the top Canadians and then, uh, a year from now, we'll have, gosh, 60-something more players to be – or wait, eight times – 72 more players to be uh, yeah. ripping around on, plus a couple of territorials. I, I like gonna it. I was going to say, yeah, two territorials, looking at 74. And, again, the only reason I know that, I just drove myself crazy trying to figure out where they all are going to go. <laughs>